0: you know, we've got two daughters. This one, this one has to be the boy. And surprise, a third girl. So yeah, I always joke with my dad that I'm the best surprise
1: for him. Welcome to the immigrant experience in America, an immigrant human library where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our Immigrant Human Library. Today, we have another interesting story, that of Amy Yip to add to our Immigrant Human Library. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to hear more about your daughter of immigrant parents in the United States. If you could introduce yourself and give us a bit about your background. Yeah, uh, I am a somatic life
0: transformation and mental fitness coach. I'm a self confidence trainer. I am a keynote speaker. And I recently published a book. It's four weeks and one day old called Unfinished Business Breaking Down the Great Wall Between Adult Child and Immigrant Parents. And uh, as you mentioned, I am a daughter of uh, immigrants they came to america and i was the accident child born here okay Uh, are you an only child no so my parents came to america with a thousand seven hundred dollars in their pockets and they had two children at the time my two older sisters one was seven and one was two But because my parents came here to try to establish their roots, they couldn't be taking care of a seven-year-old and a two-year-old while trying to do that. So they left my sisters back in Hong Kong with my grandparents while they came here. And during the first year of being here, my mom accidentally got pregnant with me. And she said to my dad, hey, I'm pregnant again. And my dad being a very traditional Chinese father he said you know we've got two daughters this one this one has to be the boy and surprise a third girl so yeah I always joke with my dad that I'm the best surprise
1: for him wow what a story what a story that's awesome and the the question that comes to mind immediately is mm-hmm. China is oftentimes associated with their one-child policy, and yeah. so you, your, your family—they were in Hong Kong, so that means outside of mainland China. So that means yeah. that policy did not apply, is what I'm thinking, right?
0: Yeah. So both of my parents were born and raised in Shanghai. My dad was in Shanghai proper my mom was in a small village outside of China. And my dad was born before communism, but when he was young, communism came. They, uh, his, My grandfather used to be a business owner, had a lot of businesses, but once communism came over, he wasn't allowed to own business anymore. And so my grandfather went to Hong Kong to try to establish his own roots there, before bringing my dad. So my dad was still in China while his own father was away. And eventually my dad, um, they they illegally snuck off to Hong Kong. So it wasn't legal at the time, but there was a law apparently in Hong Kong that once you got to like the city center or something like that um, of Hong Kong, you became a citizen. So they took long train rides, boat rides, you know, in the middle of the night had to clamber up these big hills. And my dad was, I think, 11 at the time or 12. So imagine this really young child going through this and eventually got to Hong Kong. So the moment he landed in Hong Kong, he became a Hong Kong citizen. And back then, Hong Kong was owned. It was a a British colony colony. So they didn't have that one child policy. So that's how my dad ended up in Hong Kong. My mom, um, she got the approval to leave Hong Kong. She was born right when communism came. Her mother and her father left her at a very young age to live with her grandfather. And so she was separated from them for pretty much the majority of her childhood. She didn't reunite with them until she was, I think she was 10 or 12. And so she same thing took train rides and all that until she got to hong kong and then reunited with with my grandparents there and my parents met in hong kong my dad worked at a tailor shop and my mom's aunts apparently did the catering for that tailor shop so she provided the lunches and things and the aunt and my and you know mentioned to my dad that she had a niece And so their first date, which my parents told me about their first date, essentially both my mom's parents and my dad's mom met. That was their first date. So imagine all your parents going on your first date together to see if they approve of the other end. And I'm like, that would be really weird going on a date with both of our parents there. So that was their first date. Both sides were like, sure, you know, go for it. Um, and that's the beginning of their dating journey.
1: Well, talk about pressure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, um, that's interesting. My mom, my mom always said she was like, yeah, my parents were just trying to get rid of me. They were like, you know, he's good enough. Just go for it. He's good. You know, like they, they were not too picky about it. Um, and my dad's, my dad's mom was like, well, she came from my village, so she seems nice enough, you know? Uh,
1: so that was, that was the beginnings. Wow. 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 Amazing. And so I'm wondering, okay, so they left mainland China, got to Hong Kong, two daughters were born. Talk to us a bit about like, just what the situation was like in China, as you visited over the years, right, or stories your chil- your siblings or parents might have told you, you know, about what life was like um, with communism and then the whole political situation with Hong Kong being, is it a colony? Would you say a colony of the British Empire?
0: Yeah, a territory colony. I'm not exactly sure what the right term is. Um, what I hear stories of from my parents is the reason they escaped Hong Kong was to have that freedom because in in China you weren't you couldn't do certain things you couldn't speak up you couldn't own your own business you you know there were just so many limitations and they saw Hong Kong as a land of opportunity at the same time there was a lot of fear of well when China takes Hong Kong back what would Hong Kong be like and would it become like China again where you have no entrepreneurial rights where um you know you couldn't get your 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 businesses going you lost all these rights to speak up right and so they feared that what would it be like and so one of the big reasons why they immigrated to america was because they were afraid of what would hong kong be like when china took over so we must escape to somewhere that has a land, that's the land of opportunity. So our children don't have to go through what we went through. Because when communism came, my dad actually was from a family of wealth. So when he was a child, my grandfather owned a lot of businesses. My dad always jokes that um, my grandfather gave him little gold coins to play with right? That's how rich my, my grandfather was. And when communism came over, because he wasn't allowed to own businesses anymore, they lost it all. And so my parents were afraid and didn't want us to go through things like that. Um, when communism came, people were just so poor. My mom always talks about how she had to share a single apple with her s- six siblings or five siblings. There were six kids. So it's like a single apple split between six kids. My mom actually, when she was born, her mother, my grandmother had to sell her breast milk because they didn't have money. So they sold the breast milk to buy rice for the entire family. And my mother survived off of rice milk. So essentially if you boil rice, there's that layer of like kind of milky liquid on the top. And so that's what my mother was, was drinking as an infant. That's what she was given because they had to sell the breast milk. And so there was just so much poverty and scarcity and a lot of fear. And so they were worried that that's what Hong Kong would become like when China took over again. And so that's why that was one reason why they came to the U.S. The second reason they came to the U.S. is because my middle sister, who at the time was two, shed a hole in her heart. And the doctors in Hong Kong just weren't as proficient. So they wanted to get her to America for medical care. And it was it was her life was on the line. You know, and I can't imagine because I have a kiddo who's almost two. I can't imagine that pressure of having your two-year-old's life at risk, and it's it's kind of like if you don't sort, you know, make it here in America, your daughter's gonna die. That was that was kind of the why they came, and also their experiences and the fear that drove them.
1: Yes, quite the push factor. A lot of people come mm-hmm. for some of the reasons like that, just looking for a yeah. better place, more freedom, um, access to resources and opportunities as well. I, I can I understand that. So I, I often wonder, like when the country, uh, like when China changed, and you, in our hemisphere we have Cuba, right? I was mm-hmm. fortunate to visit before the older Fidel passed away and Mm -hmm. I wonder did the government just take the businesses of your grandfather how do you know how that happened I mean I have no idea how that happened oh you don't know okay I have have no idea how that
0: happened yeah I know I I wonder about that too and my dad was so young he didn't know either but all he knows is and what my grandfather told him was communism came over he wasn't for you know they did not permit anybody to own their businesses anymore so all the businesses became uh government run so you, there was just no entrepreneurship anymore but i'm like how do they just come and take it over and that's actually what my dad said is my grandfather said the same thing like how could a government come and tell me i can't run a business and just take it away Right. And that was his mentality, because a lot of people had warned him, you need to go to Hong Kong and bring your businesses over there because communism is going to come over and you're not going to be able to run my businesses, your businesses. And my grandfather was like, that's impossible, like not going to happen. And then it happened. I have no idea logistically how they did it, but they did it.
1: I do hear lots of Cubans um, talking about that same issue of how they've lost their businesses and some of them who left when the door was open and I guess the government said you can leave and a lot of them left during a certain period but um, they've never gone back so there's like buildings locked up people have never seen where their places of business that they owned that were Mm -hmm. taken over like what they look like so I, I just wondered what China the China experience was like because these are like the only experiences I have to get like a somewhat of a firsthand of people's experience on the continent so then I wonder Amy as your parents moved over have they talked about what it was like for them in the first they came with like a thousand seven hundred you said seventeen hundred dollars left your two siblings and came to set up how did that work out for them it was very
0: hard and very challenging. So the the my dad was a tailor in Hong Kong, and one of his fellow tailoring buddies had come to America much earlier than him and had established uh, a community here. He's the one who got my parents a green card, and he got them a green card under the condition that my dad would come to America and work for him for three years. And he was paying my father something like $3 an hour or something ridiculous. My dad had to work seven days a week. And um, when my parents came, my dad did not have much work. Like the guy just didn't have stuff to give my dad to do. And yet he prohibited my dad from getting any other job. My dad became so frustrated you know, even the pizza, my, my dad loves pizza. He, he fell in love with pizza when he came here and he said there was a pizza shop right next to the tailor shop. And the pizza owner was like, I'll pay you $4, you know? And my dad's like, Oh my gosh, because that's, that's a 30% increase in your salary. And the tailor shop guy was like, no, you committed to me for three years even though he had no work for my dad to do, right? And so my dad was pretty frustrated by that and felt really limited. Um, my mom came here and her first job was working at a hotel in Arlington, Virginia. And she commuted an hour, an hour and a half each way, public transportation to do house housekeeping over there for, for her job, her first job, right? Um, but they didn't speak English. So they were limited in their opportunities. And so when they came, they had to learn English. They had to learn. I can't even imagine coming here and trying to figure out public transportation to get places without speaking English. So they had to do that. And um, they just, their income was barely making it because they also had to send money back to my grandparents because my grandparents were taking care of my sisters. So they had to continuously send money back. And my dad always tells me, that there was just so much pressure because they had $1,700, but they had to send money back. They had to save money for a plane ticket for my mom to go back to Hong Kong to get my sisters. And a round trip ticket back then was quite expensive. It was $1,000. And if you calculate $1,000 back in the 1980s, it's a lot more than, you know, today's $1,000. And then they had, my dad had to save 500 each to get my, my sisters over here. Plus they had to get a a place big enough to have both my sisters and my parents live in. They needed to get a car by the time they got my sister. So there was just like so much pressure to save all this money, but then you're limited because you've got this three-year contract and then you've got a two-year-old back in hong kong whose life is depending on you being able to establish your roots here fast and so there was a lot of pressure and my dad told me that one day he just blew up at the tailor the that tailor guy and was like you're being unfair i refuse to work for you and he just walked out and he just prayed the guy would not come back after him and he didn't and then after that my dad got another job at a Taylor place that paid him $6 an hour and he only had to work five days a week on his sixth day, which he chose to work, they paid him $9 an hour. So it's almost like triple the amount that he was making. And he said, that's actually what got them going. And, um, they were able to be able to save up to bring my sisters. Yeah. There's, there's just a lot of pressure. Um, Although it, it is also funny hearing some of the stories my parents tell me about just the awe that they had when they came to America. Because if you go to Hong Kong, it's kind of like a New York city, lots of, um, skyscrapers, really busy, a lot of people. And when they moved to Maryland, they're like, there's just open field, lots of open fields, lots of air and like. When it first snowed, it was the first time my dad saw snow. And my dad was like, it was so wonderful. Like these white little speckles coming out of the sky. But then afterwards he was like, oh, I've got to clean my car and shovel, shovel snow. It's not fun anymore. But he loved it the first time. And he was just in awe of this cold little speckle coming out of the sky.
1: Oh, Awesome. And so eventually sisters came and dad had a better job and things were getting better. And then you came along. So how did how did all that develop and how what was life like as you know you guys were getting settled in the DC metro area? Yeah. Uh so I was actually born before
0: my sisters were brought over. So my parents were here a year in my mom accidentally got pregnant with me. My dad said, let's keep it it's gotta be the boy. And So they kept me and I was born and I was born in July and it was September of that year that, that my sisters got approved to come to America. And that's when my mom went back. So three months after giving birth to me, she's flying to Hong Kong to get my sisters and my dad's taking care of this three month infant. And in Hong Kong, he's never taken care of my sisters. um, At least not like in an infant and changing diapers and having to bathe this child all by himself. So he was like, every single time I tried to put you to bed and I thought, Oh, I could get some rest. You would just start crying. And he was like, Oh, it was so hard. I'm like, yeah, now, you know what mommy went through. Um, but my mom went back, brought my sisters over. That was the first time they met me. So it was, it was like, Oh, we've got a new sister now. So they came over, um, and things, things were good. We, we started out living the five of us in a two bedroom apartment in Rockville. And I still remember it was roach infested. Uh, If you've ever been to Chuck E. Cheese, they have the whack-a-mole. And that's what I used to do as a kid with the roaches (laughs) because that, you know, they're just, I didn't know any better. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, like, let me whack them. But I remember that. And it was, it was a really small place. And then my parents were able to secure a low-income townhouse that they could own. It was a brand new build. And I still remember when we moved in, it was a three-bedroom, three-floor townhouse in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And when I went into that house as a five-year-old, I thought my parents were rich. Because to me, coming from this roach infested two bedroom apartment, like this huge, massive, beautiful, clean, new build, I was like, oh my gosh, we live in a kingdom, a castle, you know, I was like, this is amazing. And so as a little kid, I'm just running around, like there's so much space. And I just, I never knew that we were poor. We were eligible for food stamps. You know, I it, it never crossed my mind because My parents never, they never made me feel like we were poor. There was always food on the table anytime I wanted to eat something. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of, for a lot of immigrants, food is core, right? So anytime I wanted to eat something, it was there on the table and I never thought we were poor. So growing up, I never really connected the dots. Um, But I would say that the hardest part about growing up as a child of immigrants is that the cultural beliefs in the household are so different than living in America, right? Like you're taught in the house, don't speak up, don't rock the boat, don't do all those things. And then in the outside world, what is appreciated is you speaking up, right? In class, you've gotta raise your hand and you've gotta speak up. In corporate America, you've gotta speak up and that piece was tough i think the other tough piece was when my parents would come get me other kids would make fun of their accent and mm. they would they would they would say oh ching chong ching chong you know and that was hard for me so i was really embarrassed about my parents and i just wished that i could have parents that could speak i'm doing quotes normal right um, and I think the other piece, is, it, it, it's, it's, it's really around getting made fun of that school a lot as a kid, you know, my name was made fun of, my parents were made fun of, my lunches were made fun of, my parents would, uh, pack me, my favorite thing was mapo tofu. It's a Chinese dish, but it looks kind of like mushy and it's kind of brown. So it's not the most appealing looking And other kids would make fun of me and say, oh, are you eating barf? I'm like, okay, I just want a peanut butter jelly sandwich. So it's that desire as a
1: child to just want to fit in with everyone else. Wow. I interviewed someone who was from Nigeria living in the UK, and she shared a similar story of in her culture, Nigerian culture, you don't look people in the face or adults in the face or in the eye. Mm And in the UK, when she goes to school, she's being like reprimanded, like, you know, look me in the face, like address me because I need to know that you're being sincere and you're not lying. And, you know, if you look away, it means something else. So it can be quite confusing. I think that dual culture um, that you have to balance. And I think I'm still actually unraveling it. Um, I found myself in a situation last weekend and some of the emotions came back to me where i felt like i still after 23 years 24 years still not fitting in and Mm -hmm. with people who look like me yeah and it was like oh my gosh some of these emotions are still coming back that i it just reminded me of years past when i felt that in class at school um just the way that i operated and did you know did things and can still do right? Because it's part of the culture I was raised in and just still not feeling like I fit in 24 years later. So um, that's real. That's a real immigrant experience. And I think a lot of people grapple with that, that conflict, uh, collectivist cultural values and and the way we behave versus now being in an individualistic society where the individual and speaking up and, and being assertive is like the thing. If you have to, the way you survive here in the U.S. is, is part of that personality development right and so wow and it's it's interesting that you bring that up because i married a white guy
0: and he we my husband and i always joke that he's the whitest white guy because his family is originally from the midwest from wisconsin and you know had very little interaction with asians and and um we were grow we grew up so different he grew up being taught, you go after things, speak up, ask for your needs. You could say no, you could set boundaries. And he's great at that. And for me, I'm so, I was raised in a very traditional Chinese culture, which is community-based. You think about others, you put others first, right? And to speak your own needs and wants is selfish. And the beautiful thing about our marriage is that he's been able to help me speak my needs ask for what I want to say no and I've been able to teach him how do you actually look around and observe what are people's needs and think about other people too and it's this I don't think that one is better than the other but it's you know being able to have both skills and being able to balance in different situations and
1: circumstances yes bingo that's that's the I often talk about becoming American. I've been here now for 24 years and still the Jamaican culture is like it's still a part of my bones, my tissue. <laughs> um I still don't feel like I've uh, like I've become American, right? So I'm now this hybrid of previous world and now the US. I I know now so much more than I did when I first arrived and so I feel like it's a superpower. I think it really is to be able to have the knowledge of both worlds and to be able to translate that for so many people who do do not have the experience of being in um, a collectivist culture, right? Mm -hmm. And help them balance how you relate in a multicultural way to people who come from that world. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Yeah, it's very powerful. So something that was in mind, I wanted to just elaborate a bit on. You said how you didn't think that you guys were poor when you were living in Gaithersburg. And I lived in Silver Spring for a number of years when I was in the D.C. metro area. So I know Rockville. I lived right off of um, Rockville Pike, Mm -hmm. um, right at the Glenmont. No, it's not Glenmont. The station there right at North Bethesda area there, there's a station right there. Used to live right there. And then Shady Grove and Gaithersburg area, nice. I know that very well. Beautiful, nice family oriented, not too close to DC, but close enough. Yeah, <laughs> Beautiful yeah. spot. Um, But I was, you know, as I started this podcast, I, I've been talking to dad more and asking him more about our immigration story because I didn't know. So I've been getting bits and pieces of it when I catch him on a good day. <laughs> And he just pours out his heart about what life was like and, you know, who came first and how they came first and all of that. And I remember him saying, because in my mind, growing up with them, you know, for me in our community, I think it's in a rural community, like the countryside, right? So my grandmothers, our our family had a lot of land and animals and things like that. And so for us as kids growing up, We thought, boy, the entire community would come to our house when we had any event. I mean, like literally the streets would be blocked when we had a funeral. And so for us growing up, we felt like we were wealthy, like, oh, we're one of the wealthiest family in our community and things like that. We had to eat. People would come to our property. We would play games and all of that. And my dad said to me that he thought when they were growing up that they would they were considered one of the not rich Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they weren't living in poverty, but they weren't considered rich. And so that was that was like so surprising to me because I was like, that's really not even in my mind. I thought we were like such a, a healthy, wealthy family based on the land that I saw that we had, the farming, the animals um, and things like that. So it's it's so interesting as children how that perception can change from generation to generation. And uh, depending on what country you're in, like wealth is completely defined in a different way here in the U.S. versus if you live in like China or other collectivist cultures, it looked it's looked on completely differently. Right. So that's such an interesting thing. I wanted to like, it's like, wow. Yeah. Um, And and even when you're a kid, I mean, things just seem bigger and more glamorous to you. That's right. That's right. Everything is just, yeah, big and amazing to you, but I guess they did their job in providing what they could for us. And it meant that they did their best and we felt cared for. We didn't feel impoverished, right? Or that we were, you'll hear people's story where they, as children, they felt like they were missing out on things. Yeah. I'm very grateful that I grew up, not necessarily, I didn't have that feeling either. So they did their best and we appreciate them for doing that. Join us again next time for part two of this episode. Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.